Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com, the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. This is an important episode. I think they all are, but I talk a lot about philosophy and how I think that word, you just hear philosophy and you go, oh, that sounds like ancient stuff that I can't understand. It's it's not. It's not. It's it, like uh, football coaches have philosophies, like do your job or, um, you know, win at all costs. <laughs> uh, my philosophies are do good and be brave. It, it's simple stuff. But it, it, as simple as they sound, there's a lot of thought behind it that goes back uh, you know, millennia. Spencer Clavin is an author who is making this stuff accessible and approachable for you in his book, How to Win the West. And I know a lot of that sounds really esoteric and kind of like, how to win the West? What are, are we losing the West? Well, potentially, yeah. This is a really smart guy. Um, he's the associate editor of the Claremont Institute. He's the features editor at the American Mind. He has a show called Young Heretics, his own podcast. And he's really, really smart and really, really interesting and loves America, loves the philosophies that America was built on and has some really simple and insightful words about why we are where we are now and how we can get where we need to be. And it doesn't require, you know, stressing over every single election. I hope you'll stay tuned because this, this one may change your day and maybe your year. Maybe, maybe even your life. Stay tuned. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity. With your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Spencer Clavin, welcome. I'm so excited to speak with you. You know, I often tell people I am a practicing stoic, and I think that makes me sound like I'm a stoic. But in fact, the word <laughs> practice means I'm just trying every day to live by sort of the laws of stoicism. How do you describe the way that you practice? Wow. Well, uh, first of all, Michelle, thanks so much for having me on. And yes. um, I'm delighted to meet a, uh, a real life modern stoic. I, um, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I, I wouldn't describe my, myself as a stoic. I'm, I'm a Christian and I, I do believe actually that 
um, one of the most fascinating things about stoicism, which maybe people don't know if they just hear the word and right, they think, yeah, this means that you have no emotions and you're very kind of, uh, well, stoic, laconic, yeah. you know, you, you don't, um, you don't get head up a lot. Uh, one of the things people don't realize is that the stoic uh, vision of the cosmos, the idea of the universe as united in one harmony, threaded through with divine intention. Um, that was a major uh, part of, of Greek philosophy that, that had a big impact on some of the writers of the Christian gospel. So St. Paul, the famous evangelist to the Gentiles, when he came to Greece and surveyed the varying competing philosophical schools that existed at the time, it was Stoicism where he found the most material that he could work with is kind of how, mm -hmm. how I like to say it. You know, the opening of John's gospel, um, that in the beginning was the word, the logos in, in Greek. Um, and the notion that we're all children of the same father, namely God, that's to be found in Seneca. It's in a Heracles of Alexandria and, and Epictetus that we have, we share one parent, they called him Zeus, uh, the god Zeus. Um, and, and this is something we think of as totally normal and natural, right? Oh, you know, that's just everybody's common sense that, uh, that you know, we're all brothers. The UN Declaration of Human Rights says this, but in the ancient world, and in humankind more generally, this was a radical and, and daring minority view, the idea that we're actually equal, created equal in some fundamental way. So in that sense, you could also uh, link this to the American uh, Declaration and to this, yeah. the way this country works, right? You know, and so um, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a practicing Stoic, but I would say that all of us in some sense, um, you know, if we believe in this country, if we believe in, uh, in the brotherhood of man, uh, we're, we're Stoics almost without even knowing it. You said something there that makes me curious. Why is it such a radical idea that we're all equal born under, you know, born equal into the world. Why is, why would that ever be considered radical? That confuses me. Yeah. I mean, that is an amazing thing to think about, especially now when we're so many, you know, when we're 2000 years out from the Christian revolution that transformed the West. And, um, but you know, you, if you go back and you read these ancient texts, even, you know, authors that you would think of as uh, you know, very sophisticated and, and wise on many on many points. They look out at the world and they say, "Well, there's all sorts of differences in in humankind, right? Some are some are smarter, some are some are less smart. Some people are are born with disabilities, and um, you know, in in the the violent and difficult world of of antiquity, um, it, it was very easy to draw the conclusion that actually there are greater and lesser men in some absolute sense, um, and so it was this. Crazy. That's kind of like what they're talking about in Davos, isn't it? At the World Economic this is Forum, the thing. Well, <laughs> they, exactly. they, they think it's they're like, greater and we're less. That's that's totally right, and you and and they think that because it's just common sense that you know the Brotherhood of Man kind of dropped out of the sky. Nobody needs to think about it. They think they're the good guys. But if you don't actually expressly preserve these traditions, this is sort of something I talk about in my book, How to Save the West. Uh, if you don't carry these traditions forward, then you're you're not going to end up just automatically believing in that sort of stuff. You're going to say, well, some people are deplorables. Uh, you know, white people <laughs> are inherently racist. Like, you know, all of this stuff is ancient. We think of it as this new development, but that's just the natural state of man without uh, this, this wisdom from antiquity. Oh, my gosh. Okay. How to Save the West is the book. And, and, and another question that I have, because, you know, I'm, I love to learn. 
And I think a lot of people here, the West, the Western life, Western civilization, West, 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 and they're thinking, okay, what's the difference between West and East? We're all humans. What's mm-hmm. going on with this West label? How would you define Western civilization? I'm really glad you asked that question because not only do people wonder, you know, what's the difference between West and East? A lot of times you'll hear, well, Western, that's just a synonym for white chauvinism or racism or whatever. There we go. What have you. And yeah. the, my favorite is I told somebody I was writing a book called How to Save the West and they responded, oh, I love John Wayne movies. <laughs> it said not that kind of West, not the, not the you know, the Wild West. Um, but in fact... You know, this tradition that we talk about when we talk about Western civilization with a capital W, it's not about like things being better if they sit to the left on a map. Um, and it's not about any one, one race or even any one nation. The way I define it is it's the intellectual inheritance of Athens and Jerusalem. And those two words are kind of pillars of what we think of when we think of Western civilization. So Athens is where you get that. Uh, great Stoic uh, teaching, you know, where where you get these uh, people peering into uh, the depths of human reason as far as they can see with the unaided mind, right? Um, and that's where you start to, you know, gain this insight. Well, that actually, even though some people are are born into slavery, some people are born very wealthy, right? We are actually fundamentally as human beings all all equal. Right. Um, and so that's Athens, this grand tradition from Socrates to Aristotle, you know, on into the Hellenistic philosophers. Um, but there is another dimension of this. And, and it's important to remember, and that's Jerusalem, which stands in for the uh, great monotheist, monotheistic uh, faith of the Near East, the Abrahamic uh, tradition of, of uh, Jerusalem, which is to say Judaism, leading on also into Christianity. And that meeting, that encounter between St. Paul and the Greek on the Areopagus. Um, in some ways, that's the kind of like big bang of Western civilization. So it's not anything to do with where you're from, you know, who you are, what kind of country you were born into. Um, this is a tradition. And, and these are some of the greatest uh, sources of wisdom known to humankind. They, they don't, we don't get to take them for granted. They don't just kind of come automatically. We're not born knowing these things. Um, we need to be schooled in them and we need to preserve them. And so, you know, that's something we've kind of lost sight of as we start to accuse this of, you know, chauvinism or racism or whatever. It's exactly the opposite. This is how we come to understand that we are all brothers. Um, it's how we keep that radical idea of, of human freedom and American liberty. And so this constant pull uh, mm. uh, uh, between Western philosophies, Western civilization, and those who hate the West, mm. those who hate the West, uh, what is and, and would like to destroy the West, by the way, would mm-hmm. like to destroy Israel, would like to destroy like nothing better than destroy America. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, where is that hatred so rooted that it cannot, it seemingly cannot be um, diminished, cannot be assuaged, cannot be uh, collaborated with or negotiated with? Right, right. Well, you know, the the world is a very painful and and broken place. And uh, this is something I talk about a lot in the book. And in the introduction, I sort of deal with this uh, movement against Western civilization. Western, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western civ, it's got to go, right, is this, mm-hmm. is this the slogan. Um, and, and if you can uh, sell people 
a villain, a, a bad guy, then you can get a lot of power from from people who just want somebody to blame for their pain, for their difficulty, for their sorrow. Um, and in some sense, you know, this is a the classic Marxist move. You know, it's not that the world is inherently unfair. Actually, the world can be perfect. We can make the world perfect um, if only we get those nasty oppressors out of the way. Right. Um, and this was a turn in Marxism in America when, you know, America was doing relatively well economically and it was difficult to stir up that resentment uh, against, you know, the, the bosses and the fat cats because we had this strong middle class. Um, a lot of the new Marxists started to think, well, actually, this is a cultural battle that we need to wage. We need to get people mad uh, about racism. We need to get people mad about sexism or the divisions between man and woman, the differences between male and female. Um, and, and, you know, Western civilization is not itself racist, is not itself inherently sexist, um, but it is uh, about describing the world as it is. And it involves acknowledging the the brokenness of humanity, the need to do that practice you were talking about of constantly bettering yourself, self-improvement, mm -hmm. uh, personal responsibility, big part of stoicism as well. Um, and, and I think that this accusation, right, that, that it's their fault, they're the oppressors, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. In fact, you're going to be part of the great glorious utopian revolution, um, which of course never materializes, always just never. over the horizon. Um, and, and the, you know, really in, in the end, the end game is always power. Give us control. Let us take over. Um, and you won't have all that personal responsibility uh, that freedom brings. Which is just a terrifying thought to me to let mm. anybody, any group of people, any group of elitists who think they know what's best for the world to make decisions on my behalf. Um, mm. I, I want to continue this. I have so, so many questions for you, and I'm certain that um, – that a lot of people want to hear the answer. Spencer Clavin, the book is How to Win the West. More to come. Stay right there. Well, you may have never thought that you'd hear this in your lifetime, but um, a food shortage could be coming even in the U.S. At, and that's according to economic experts. That's a recent bit of writing. That's why survival food, hear me out, is more important than ever. You can create a stockpile because if you remember during the pandemic, there were things you couldn't get. And if we have another one of those or any other kind of crisis here in America, which doesn't seem that outlandish to me anymore, um, you may want a food supply. So you can create your own stockpile of the best selling for Patriots survival food kits. This is not ordinary food. We're talking good for 25 years, super survival food, handpicked right in a family-owned facility in the USA and giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, stackable, so you can keep, keep them in your pantry, in your basement. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, and you can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. All you have to do is add boiling water, simmer, and serve. And right now, you can go to 4 use code MICHELLE, that's Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, -E, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous year-long guarantee after you order, plus free shipping on orders over $97. They're called Four Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. We love that. Just go to fourpatriots.com, use the code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, -E, to get 10% off. That's Four Patriots. It's the number four, patriots.com, code Michelle, Start building your own stockpile. Start today. 
So, Spencer, we're in this age of technology and Davos, mm. the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, who think they know it all. And in fact, I think it's just a bunch of hooey, but that's mm. for another time. I think people would say, okay, we are smarter now. We have more data. We have more information. Why would we listen to ancient philosophers to get us through the problems we're facing today? What would you say? That's a great a question. I mean, something that definitely needs to be taken seriously. Um, in the book, I quote uh, the paleontologist G.G. Simpson, who has says something to the effect of, you know, Dar Darwin was the first person to come up with a meaningful answer to the question of man's place in the universe. And every other answer before Charles Darwin, before the theory of evolution, um, is is nonsense, and we should completely disregard it. Um, so it's it's not a, a, a it's a it's not a new idea that actually when modern science comes in, um, it's going to give us all the answers to the questions of the soul, to the questions of meaning, to the questions of God. Right. Um, but what's so problematic what's so what's so wrong about that to me is uh, and this is in the the section on religion that i have a, a part of the book called the crisis of religion i talk about this so-called fight between science and religion and um, mm. and you think about the point of science right the uh the core meaning of, of what science is um it was never intended to answer those questions. In fact, explicitly, the whole point of science is we're going to take our eyes away from these kind of larger, abstract, unanswerable metaphysical questions. We're just going to look at the physical nature of the world and how we can uh, control it. That is a wonderful gift to the world in terms of our health, our longevity, all sorts of uh, technology that we've developed. But it actually isn't enough uh, to lead a full, rich, fulfilling human life. We need more than that. And so when you take everything but science out of the equation, what you end up doing is you end up turning science into a religion. Um, and that's yes. where you get Dr. Fauci, right? I represent yes. the science, right? The clerical priest who's going to pronounce from on high, not just about what the you know spread rate of, of coronavirus is, but about what's morally good, what you must do, what freedoms you must give over in the name of the collective. Right. That's where you get the Davos guys. I mean, it's the same idea. It's just reducing everything to material science um, is actually a, a recipe for disaster. So my point is, if you go back to these older texts, um, which deal with those bigger questions, those vertical questions of mankind's place in the universe, you'll actually find a lot more sanity uh, than you get from some of our modern gurus. That's why we call this show Sideline Sanity. Uh, we want sanity in the world. So I try to carry my light every day, carry myself in the best way I know how. And I, yeah, I, I do fear, I have fear about the future, you know, whether it's about China, whether it's about Russia, whether it's about will this amazing country in its in infancy still, the United States of America, come crumbling upon itself. You, you have... Do you have suggestions for every individual in the way that they just kind of live their lives with that? You know, I don't know if you can escape the worry, but knowing that they can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you speak for so many people, for maybe most people, uh, when when you say that, you know, you have those fears, those those worries. I know that I hear from people all the time, people who listen to my podcast, people who read what I write, um, and they just feel helpless. They feel helpless and paralyzed and scared because the problems 
we are dealing with in this country, in the world, they are so huge and so structural that it just feels like, you know, how am I ever going to, uh, you know, your show's called Sideline Sanity. Uh, it's, it's a great title because it does feel like sanity's on the sidelines, right? I mean, it yeah. feels like everything in the main part of the world is going mad. And so how can we intervene? How can we do anything? Um, and, and when people think about that question, you know, they start to think, about the, the world as if they were Ron DeSantis, right? As if they had control over a whole state or they were going to write a law tomorrow that fixed everything in, in the country. Um, and that's where that paralysis starts to set in because most of us aren't Ron DeSantis. We each have a role to play. Um, and a lot of us don't have that big political power. We have the vote, which is so crucial. Um, but there's got to be more than that. And we feel like we can't affect these, these big changes right. that we want to, that we want to affect, you know, this is why I wrote this book. This is the, the whole point. When you write a book called How to Save the West, you're making a big promise. Um, but the, the great thing about Western civilization, uh, the, the, the really, truly powerful thing about it um, is that the ancient wisdom which comes down to us through these wonderful traditions is not uh, aimed solely at people who have, who are kings, who have political power, um, who can muscle the, the wheel of history back into the right place. Um, it's aimed at individual human souls, right? And the West is saved every time one of those human souls, uh, wakes up from, uh, despair and carries the wisdom of the past forward in how you show up for your kids, in what you teach them about how to navigate the world, um, in, in how you work and act in your community. Look, politics matters. The whole fifth section of the book uh, called The Regime Crisis is about, is about politics. But the wonderful thing about the Western tradition is that it, it doesn't depend, stand or fall, on getting the right answer to the 2024 election or getting the right vote at the, at the midterms. It doesn't depend on that. These are traditions that have survived the fall of Rome, that have survived the exile in Babylon. They can resurrect themselves if we just carry them forward day by day, each of us in our lives. That's the kind of wisdom that uh, I try to present in, in this book. And that's how we get out of that paralysis is to realize that really, yes, elections are important. Yes, these big you know, global crises are, are serious. Um, but you know what's more serious is the individual human soul and what you teach your kids and what you do tomorrow uh, and how you show up and how you wake up every morning um, and what's the highest good for you. So those are the kinds of questions that uh, you'll find addressed in in the book. It's why I wrote the book. And I think that's our way out of despair. Well, 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 the stock market continues to be confounding, doesn't it? I mean, and it's, it's, we live and die by it. Some of us, we watch it and we go, Oh no, everything's terrible. And then it comes up and we go, Oh no, everything's good. We need to take a breath and think about silver and gold and precious metals. There really has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. The current financial economic environment we find ourselves in is similar to 2008. And I can tell you that in 2008, those who invested in gold actually saw gains. And those who did not, many lost their retirements. So we're in that kind of environment where you want to think about legacy precious metals, the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. And they can explain to you how to do it. Do you need tangible physical gold? Should you work it into your IRA, your 401k? What do you do? See, gold prices are rising because investors turn to gold 
as a protection against inflation, a protection against a weakening dollar, a hedge against inflation. And it, it, it really is important to think about this for your future, for the long-term play as you're dealing with the day-to-day logistics of where your money's going. You got to think about the long-term too. So call Legacy Precious Metals. Be proactive while you've still got the time to make this matter in your future. They can advise you on all your options. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. You can speak directly to an IRA expert or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. You mentioned kids, and I've got two of them. Right. One's looking at colleges. And I think he's on pretty solid ground philosophically where his head is. We, we, but I, I, certainly a number of his classmates are all part of this woke cult, I will call it that. Yep. And I love them all, but I, I wish – anyway, we, as kids go off to college, as parents, again, you, you set your own example, but academia seems broken and yeah. Yeah. just thoroughly um, indoctrination zones. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm generalizing here, and I know there are a number of excellent schools out there, and I know there are a number of great programs, but we know what we know. And no one can tell me differently that academia is very left-leaning. What what should parents do about their kids and, and that future goal of college? Well, this is one of the great uh, insights of the ancient tradition. You get it a lot in Plato, the Greek philosopher, just this notion that, you know, education is actually never morally neutral. It's never just your your sums, your math and, and your reading and writing. That's important, of course. Um, but always when we train kids, when we talk to them about the world and how it is and, and how to act in it, um, we're operating out of our beliefs, out of our deepest beliefs, and we're shaping young souls. And so nothing is more important for the future of the West than how parents raise their kids, how they teach them. I mean, I think that you've started to see in these movements like against CRT in school, some of the work that Chris Rufo has been doing, the, uh, you know, the, the way that we've been engaging with, with public schools and parent-teacher associations and so forth. Um, you're starting to see people realize the importance of this and take more ownership over uh, the souls of their, their kids, the education that their kids are getting. And that's something that I would encourage parents to do more and more. You need to know what your kids are, are learning and maybe even take uh, a hand if you're not already. I'm sure I'm sure you are. But, you know, to take a hand in, in how they uh, learn about the world and, and what they come to believe. But, you know, the Bible compares uh, children a lot of the times to arrows in a quiver. And typically people interpret that to mean, well, it's because they're like, you know, they're like weapons, they're wealth, basically. You've got more arrows in your quiver. Um, but I think that there's more to that metaphor than that because, um, you know, your children are arrows in your quiver because they have a trajectory. Arrows, you shoot them and then they go away from you. And that's the hardest and the most painful part of, of raising kids is that eventually they are going to be, uh, they're going to reach the age of maturity and they're going to be set free to make these decisions for themselves. Um, and so I would suggest that, you know, in addition to sending your kids 
to a school like, you know, Hillsdale or one of these classical schools that does have its head on straight. Um, you're also going to have to equip them to move through a world that is, is, is maddening and is crazy. And, you know, something like a book like Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, which is basically the handbook for how to be good at being human, right? How do I discern right from wrong? Um, right. if you, you know, if they get a, a handle on that book or if they, you know, read what I have to say about it in, in How to Save the West, which is kind of maybe a, a digestible version of it, um, they're going to have those tools for for guiding that trajectory. That's that's your job, because ultimately they are going to be uh, on their own, as we all are, and they have to stand on their own two feet. Um, and, and the way to do that is to uh, to train them up, to teach a child the way that he should go when he's young and he will not depart from it. Whew. There is a lot. I can't wait to finish this book, um, <laughs> How to Win the West. And I, I commend you for taking this on and for being brave enough to say, suggest that, you know what, there really are some things we can think about and do and mm. employ in our daily lives to do this. And you don't necessarily have to be afraid. And I particularly like your point of view that it, the next election is not the end of the world, just as the last <laughs> yeah. election wasn't the end of the world. But it's right. how we go on and how we carry ourselves. And you really can live a happy life if you decide, if you choose to do so and to just right. be good and do right in every aspect of your own life. And every day, wake up with that attitude. I believe that stuff kind of has a ripple effect. I believe it, 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 it pays off. Y you agree? I certainly do. You're I not going to see do. it I necessarily. That's a dumb tomorrow, question, but. Yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I mean, it's so important not to, you know, catastrophize, uh, because, yes. you know, things, things that look rough in this country, I won't lie. I'm, I'm no fan of the Biden administration, but, uh, you know, it, 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 you, you will note, uh, it, in point of fact, right, that it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't the end of the world. Um, and, and there have been many, many worse catastrophes in the world, uh, that people before us have survived and even thrived in, and it pays to learn from that. Indeed, it does. And that's why I love reading history. And I love reading books about philosophy, things that get people. through. And by the way, I just want people to understand when you're reading philosophy, and, and I love that yours is quote unquote, digestible, as you put it, <laughs> because it yeah. is intimidating for a lot of people to pick up Aristotle, to pick up Seneca, to pick up, you know, meditations by Marcus Aurelius, even though I find that a fairly easy read. But there are lots hmm. of uh editions of these books and and people like you authors like you who put it together in a a really accessible way that is not intimidating at all so i want to encourage people to get this book and uh you know find find a way find a way to make your life better and your kids lives more productive and we just want to be happy productive citizens that help make everything better um it's really pretty simple i i think spencer clavin i i so appreciate you joining us. We've shown your Twitter handle here, we're, you know, all your credentials um, and, and appreciate so much. I, I'd love to have you back. I would be delighted. Thank you so much for having me. It's such you a pleasure. You bet. You bet. He is Spencer Clavin. I'm Michelle Tafoya. This has been Sideline Sanity. Don't forget simple, simple things. Number one, do good. And number two, be brave. Thanks, everyone. A welcome back to Charles Thorngren of Legacy Precious Metals. Hey, Charles, today I want to make people calm down a little bit, help them to calm down a little bit, because there's a lot of fear out there. When we look at the markets, we look at the economy, we don't know when this pain 
is really going to assuage, if you will, if when it's going to calm down. So what do you tell people about why gold can work for them in this in this middle of this fear? Yeah, it's it's a really important question, I think. And it's important to realize that there is things you can do to help remove that fear. There's nothing worse than than having a fearful mindset when it comes to managing your money. This is something you want to do that gives you protection and helps you sleep better at night, not lose sleep. And, and that's ultimately what gold does, right? You You step into gold and you're saying, I'm not trying to time the market. I'm not trying to maximize my return. What I'm trying to do right now is protect what I have. And that's the important thing about gold. When everything else is moving backwards, gold moves forwards. Gold is the asset that will continue through the test of time to gain in value because it does a couple really important things. The first is the weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold is. And the dollar will always get weaker. We have what we call inflation and our government tells us 2% is good. But if you think about that, that means you're losing 2% of your purchasing power every year. And that's in the best of times. So this is what gold does. And that's its main job. That's its main job. And I think if we can all sort of look at it that way uh, is protecting what you have and helping you sleep better at night, that is huge because, as you said, inflation is always going to be with us. That means we're always going to lose purchasing power, except when it comes to gold. Do I have that right? You have that right. And that's why your grandfather always said, this cost me a nickel when I was your age. <laughs> you know what, Charles? I found myself saying to that to, to, to my kids now. It's really embarrassing, but it's so true. I mean, the, the, the prices are just off the charts. I want people to remember to go to Legacy Precious Metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. Download their free investor's guide. Give them a call. Charles, when they call, who can they expect to pick up the phone and give them you know, some, a little bit of an education on the other end? You know, I, I have um, a multitude of, of account representatives here, and their whole job is to walk you through the process. Um, I don't call them salesmen because that's not what they do. Uh, I'd like to call them teachers, but I don't think that does teachers justice. Their job is to show you what options you have, show you what's going on, and show you what makes sense for you personally. Everyone has a little different need from the next person. So it's important to speak to somebody who's going to focus on that and show you what options you have so you can get that that sleep at night, so you can remove that fear from your, your at least from your money aspect of, of life. And that's important. Oh, it's huge. It's it's huge. It's 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 on the forefront of people's minds right now. Charles Thorngren of Legacy Precious Metals. Again, go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. Thanks, Charles. My pleasure.